I continue to be struck by the powerful prophecies that we're hearing from the prophet Isaiah in our first readings during Advent. And like I've been mentioning the past couple weeks, it's, it's helpful for us to get the context of these prophecies by having an idea of what Israel was going through at the time when Isaiah was, was preaching. It's a very dark time. The North, as I've, I've mentioned in the past couple weeks, the northern tribes uh, or the, the northern part of the territory were, were decimated during this time. And so all of, the, all of the Israelites either left and were never heard from again or, or they stayed, but then they intermarried with the foreign invaders and, and ceased uh, to practice the faith of Israel. And then in the southern part of Israel, that land was reduced just to the city of Jerusalem. And uh, many, many people stopped practicing Judaism at that time. It was a very dark time as people lost their land, their people, and, and even it looked like their very faith. So last week, we heard Isaiah give us an image for Israel. And that image was the image of a stump. And if we think of what a stump is, it's, it's evidence of something that was great previously, something that was tall with greenery and fruit, but something that's now been reduced to just stubble. It's dead, lifeless, it's not going anywhere. This week, we hear a similar image for Israel from the prophet. This week, Israel is compared to a desert. And if you've been to a desert, you know that it's, it's a lifeless place. Not much will grow there with the exception of maybe a cactus. So um, the, the message, though, that the prophet is giving is, is actually one of hope. Because what did we hear last week? That a shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse. In other words, new life is going to come from that which is dead. And this week, a similar message, that in the desert, flowers will bloom. So this is only something that God can do, bring new life out of that which was dead. This is really a message filled with hope for the future of of Israel. And so Isaiah says to the people, say to those whose hearts are frightened, be strong, fear not. Here is your God. He comes with vindication. With divine recompense, he comes to save you. So in other words, as a result of the promises, Isaiah is saying, reassure those who are fearful and encourage those who are in doubt. And what signs will accompany God's coming to save us? Well, the prophet tells us that the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be cleared, the, li- the lame will leap like a stag, and the tongue of the mute will sing. So it's a very hope-filled prophecy with a direct connection to today's gospel. So today's gospel happens uh, in, that, in, in that period between which John the Baptist had been imprisoned and before he's martyred. So if you remember, John the Baptist had been thrown into prison by King Herod, who was in an invalid marriage. And John the Baptist had pointed this out. He was married to his, his sister-in-law. So it's problematic on various levels. And uh, um, 
Herod was not very happy that he was being publicly called out by this, so he throws John in prison. And then from prison, it seems that John had a doubt about who Jesus was. And so he sends messengers to Jesus to, to ask him, are you the one who's to come or should we wait for another? In other words, are you the one that we've been waiting hundreds of years for, thousands of years for? Is it you? <laughs> or do we need to keep waiting? I think it's really helpful for us to see this, this doubt that John the Baptist has. John the Baptist is a saint, holy. And just because he has a doubt doesn't mean he succumbed to doubt. He was just tempted by doubt. It's good for us to hear because sometimes we can feel doubts too or other temptations, but doubts and temptations are not automatically sins. They're only sins if we give in to the temptation or if we succumb to the doubt. We aren't told that John stops believing, but rather he simply seems to be struggling with doubt. So he sends messengers to Jesus. Are you the one who is to come? Are you the one even prophesied by, about, uh, by Isaiah? And this is Jesus' response. What do we hear him say? Go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind regain their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The dead hear. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have the good news proclaimed to them. If, if those messengers knew the scriptures, like, I mean, practicing Jews did know the scriptures in those times, uh, if, if those messengers knew the scriptures, when they hear these words coming out of Jesus' mouth, what are they thinking? The ancient prophecies being fulfilled. If even the first listeners of the gospel who knew the scriptures so well they're hearing this recounted. This is what Jesus said to John. They would have known the ancient prophecies have been fulfilled. And what is that ancient prophecy? It's not just the coming of the Messiah accompanied by these miraculous signs, but also, what do we hear the prophet today say? Here is your God, Israel. He comes with vindication. And so the ancient prophecy is fulfilled. God has come to save his people. And in Jesus, we know that this is literally true, that Jesus wasn't just a man sent by God, but he was God (laughs) who'd come to, to be with his people, to save them. So this is really good news. It was good news for the messengers who got to bring this message to Jesus. One of the things I think is, think is kind of interesting is that um, the, the prophet says today, say to the people who are discouraged, be not afraid, God is here. And what do the messengers do? They get to say to John, who's struggling with doubt. So they literally fulfill this prophecy by bringing the good news to John. Here, here is your God. He's come with power and vindication to save his people. Uh, it's interesting for us to think about how this was true for John's life. 
Uh, how did he receive this good news? My guess is that it comforted him greatly and brought peace and helped him to go on to suffer martyrdom. It's good for us to see that God's coming to save John doesn't mean his release from prison, and it doesn't even mean that he doesn't have to suffer death. Because when God comes to save us, he comes to do something much greater, which is to save our soul and to save us from the second death, which is hell. St. Paul tells us that the sufferings of the present are nothing compared to the glory that is to come. And so this is, it's good for us to remember this, that, you know, sometimes, sometimes we, we think, well, I'm, I just, you know, I just am suffering so much. God isn't, God's forgotten me or God's gone or he must not be hearing me because I'm suffering or because this thing I'm asking for in prayer, it's not happening. Where, where the heck is he? Is he, not, is he not answering? Is he not real? But actually, the, the true prison that Jesus comes to liberate us from is, is, is the prison of our own hearts that holds us captive to our anger and bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. And these are the things that God wants to free us from so that we can truly be free. I was thinking about this uh, in, in a little story that Mother Teresa told. She was telling about, um, and I'm sure this happened to, off frequently in her ministry, but, but she was talking about how uh, she and some sisters went and, and were ministering to a man who had been on the streets, and he, and he was dying, and they found him dying. In, in the gutter in Calcutta. They brought him back to the home and basically were just caring for him until he died, which was not a long time after they found him. He said to them, as they bathed his wounds and cleaned him and as they, as they fed him and as they um, tried to comfort him through their own expressions of love, he said to them, all of my life I've lived like a beggar in the streets but I'm going to die a wealthy man loved. So for that man whom Mother Teresa rescued off the street, his salvation didn't mean that he was well physically or that he avoided physical death. It meant that he experienced God's love, which changed everything, which healed him interiorly, which took away any bitterness that he had towards how his life had begun and been lived. That when, when God touches us with his love, it changes everything. <laughs> even, if, even if the physical conditions of our life don't change. John didn't get out of prison, but what, is he, what did he hear? He heard that God had come to save him that he hadn't been forgotten there in prison, but God was really there. And, he, and God sent him this message of love. And John would have received that in his heart and carried that all the way to his death, giving him the courage even to die for Christ. Uh, this is what the Lord wants to do for each one of us. Advent is a period of waiting. And it's not just waiting to... Uh, you know, for Santa to come, but it's, it's, it's really a period of, of being aware of 
how we need God to come into our heart, how we need him to come into our life, and waiting for him there, trying to prepare for him to come, uh, desiring to, to welcome him when, when he does come. So let's ask the Lord today to come into our hearts and, and, and in our lives, especially those places that feel like a stump or like the desert, dry and arid, fruitless, without hope. And let's, let's ask the Lord to come, believing that he will be ready for him, for the flowers to bloom, to be ready for new life to come to that which is dead.